Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means <laughs> to be a Spider-Man story. Today, we are covering the 2008 miniseries Marvel Knights Spider-Man with Great Power. Um, ellipses. It, it just, ellipses. Yes, the ellipses are very important. Uh, this one is written by David Lapham, penciled by Tony Harris for the first four issues. And then the last issue, we get a little, little swapperoo with the art. And that artist's name is David Lapham. <laughs> so uh, it looks like Lapham wrote and drew the penciled, rather, the last issue. Inks for the first four issues are Jim Clark and Stefano Guadini. Guadiano, uh, yeah, Guadiano for the last issue, and colors are by Matt Miller with J.D. Me- uh, Mettler and Paul Mounts. And the editor is Warren Simmons. Yeah, we always credit the, the editor on this on this podcast. But anyway, I'd, anyway, maybe we should start. The editors, eh. you know, they're they're doing their job. <laughs> editors, like you know, Matt, why don't you? T- <laughs> Yeah, why don't you tell us how many clams this comic goes for? If we were in a a mollusk-based economy, how many bivalve clams would it take for me to own a copy of this story in my hands? Good clam knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, this whole thing on Comixology will cost you nine clams. Ooh. But... How many oysters? No, nine clams. (laughs) You know, this is also on that Marvel Access comic book fun time, where if you spend just 10 clams a month, you get all kinds of comics for just, you know, a little piece of the ocean. No big deal. It's Marvel Unlimited? Yeah. Okay. The people know. (laughs) Uh, If you grab these in physical issue form the way they were originally intended to be, it's about two clams a pop, so about a whole clam over what it would cost you on Comixology. And you can grab this hardcover from anywhere between 6 to 16 clams. The reason they're clams is because I was so taken aback by a poster of our Res de Tete, our Crusher Hogan, where you could win thousands of... It's, it's um, dollar sign 5,000 clams. <laughs> <laughs> for beating him, which we all know is why Spider-Man swings in for those sweet, sweet clams. I mean, he just really likes seafood. This is this is the alternate universe where Spider-Man's uh, diet is almost entirely clams, mussels, oysters, the occasional scallop. And that's all he eats. All right, all right. So let's back up here. This this miniseries with great power ellipses is I'm going to sum it up as Amazing Spider-Man 15, but for the CW. Uh, This is an alternate universe take on the origin of Spider-Man. And as we go through this story, you'll see why it would not be able to line up with continuity proper. And it's a a different take. I don't know. What what were your general impressions, Kane? I mean, I I liked this. uh, You know, rewinding back to our trouble issue... Or I'm sorry, episode. Oh, that boats well. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of already like touched on some of these notes, uh, and I, I think your description as this being like a teen soap drama, a la the CW, is, is an apt description. Hey, hey, um, the CW also is supernatural. Okay, supernatural is also for teenagers. What? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, first impressions, general impressions for that, I, I think it's spot on. If you if you pick up this book looking for superheroics, you're going to be a little disappointed. But this, I think, might be something more in line with like a YA take on Spider-Man's origin. Do you think you'd be as disappointed as Ben Parker is in this miniseries to Peter <laughs> Parker? Hey, I mean, he says he's he's proud of him at some point. And then and then it's like, oh, you might as well just stuck me with a knife in the ribs. But that's 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 a little bit 
deeper in. But uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of parental disappointment in this. Yeah, though. Um, there's a lot of need for parental supervision. <laughs> one thing I wasn't paying super attention to, but I'm trying to recall. Now, does does Ben Parker actually say, you know, the line? Yes, in yes this? he says the line in this. Okay. Uh, I ask because um, I found a bit of a twit a tet that I believe most people who listen wouldn't be a part of this sort of thing online. But there's this actual drop down argument about whether or not Ben Parker actually said it in proper continuity. And, you know, as of Amazing Fantasy, it was the narrator. And come movie time, you know, it's Ben Parker, though in the comics, there's a devil with Ben's guise that says the line. So... That's a fun little bit of trivia for you. I mean, I'm I'm not going to go and say with any sort of like certainty, but I'm sure it was retconned in that it was Ben before the movie. Uh, Jim Owsley has a line in like some submission where that's how Peter remembers it. So mm-hmm. you could either take that as a mismemory or canon or what have you, but officially on the page, not so much. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't know. So, all right, this miniseries proper starts off with a page ripped directly from Amazing Fantasy 15, Steve Ditko art and all, and a little bit of summation of, uh, you know, getting bit by a spider, Peter's a nerd, and we're in wrestling land. Yeah, so this, this one, this story takes place pretty much between the section where where Peter starts wrestling with Crusher Hogan and ends right before Uncle Ben gets shot spoilers um so it, it's <laughs> we've there there are a few comics that have kind of revisited these early years um but I don't know if there's anything the only thing I can think of there is a what if what if Spider-Man never became a crime fighter? And and that might be something interesting. I I've not I own it. I have not read it yet. Um, it was it was a dollar bin grab for me, but um, that might be something interesting for us to revisit and compare later. But other than that, I don't know anything that really covers this era of Spider-Man's life in continuity or out like this is. I mean, you could argue a chunk of the early Ultimate, kind of, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this, different. Is, this isn't something that's been mined too much, but I, I think there's... Good reason. reasons for that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um, uh, you know, enough beating around the bush. Let's let's just dive right into this bad boy. Um, so we, we kind of start a little in medias res here, don't we? Because um, I, 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 you know, we... We start out with Spider-Man is already kind of wrestling. He's already meeting with some fans and talking to his the owner of the wrestling troupe he's with. Uh, and, and then we kind of do a flashback to right before he gets bit by the spider. Um, I guess the first thing I want to talk about is the art in this. Um, you know, th- this is a kind of out of continuity mini where Marvel is grabbing some talents that is not normally in their stable. Um, so let's, let's talk about Tony Harris here. How, how do you feel about these pencils and, and, and these inks? Um, I mean, this is a weird one for me because I just recently read Ex Machina, which is the biggest body of his work in comics. It's a 50-issue run, basically all him. And this doesn't quite look the same, and it feels me primarily because of the colorist. And uh, we were talking a little bit before, and you point out a few odd choices the colorist made, which uh, I I think maybe pulled me out of it. Right. Um, I mean, the color palette one is a strange choice, um, but... One of the biggest ones for me, and I'm staring at it right now, is this first panel with uh, Flash Thompson where he's giving Peter, I, I believe the correct parlance is an atomic wedgie, mm-hmm. uh, where-, where you literally lift someone off of their feet by their underwear. But um, the the colorist chose, Fla- Flash has like a-, a high and tight hairdo, and so it's very short, and the colorist drew or colored his hair the same shade as his scalp 
So he has kind of like a Bart Simpson thing going on where he just has like a spiky head. Um, Which, especially given that everyone else is rendered relatively realistic with a high amount of detail, looks super surreal. It really, like, he, he looks strange. Um, but other than that, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, the everyone is very, like, well-detailed. And, uh, you know, the, the, the lines are very thick with the inks. Uh, there, there's a lot of, and, and so it makes all the characters really pop. And uh, the, 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 the highlighting on the color also, I, I think the lighting is done really well. But there, there's a weird translucence to a lot of the inks that don't really play well with the colors. I, I like, I don't want to keep going on and on about these just like very like esoteric um, comments about the art, but there's just something uncanny to the way this book looks. Well, they're like I can't quite... comic book colors to a hyper realistic pencil and inks. So it looks weird that someone has something that's so purple. That's almost unattainable mm-hmm. by natural law. Uh, there, There's just certain colors that don't belong to the level of fidelity brought forward. So it's like I said, it's surreal, which can make certain things pop and whatnot. But it also makes it so that the vibrance of Spider-Man's costume is underplayed because everyone else has such stunning colors that um, his pop is just lost because it's Mm -hmm. in a sea, a wash of bright primary colors. Right, right. So continuing on with the story. So we're back in high school and and the setup for the high school is the the power triangle between Liz Allen Flash Thompson and Peter Parker. Peter is absolutely in love with Liz Allen. Flash has an on and off thing with Liz. And Liz kind of seems to be playing the field. And, you know, she she kind of goes a little bit back and forth. Um, mostly she seems to be interested in Peter and unable to shake Flash and his advances on her. Um, but I should say Peter here isn't the Peter that we get through the Dicko years of Spider-Man. This is average kid who's doing good in school, but not like Peter Parker was. He's not spending extra time in the lab, really. He's not doing that. He's just doing well, whereas Flash is the jock. So you have a much more standard high school dynamic. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're already kind of playing outside of the box. Yeah, j- just a little bit, and and uh, and 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 this, this relationship between Flash and Peter kind of informs the rest of Peter's characterization, is because when he realizes that he can really reinvent himself when he puts on this Spider-Man costume and in the ring, and the comic never makes this direct comparison, but he really just starts to emulate Flash, where he is hyper macho he's a big jerk he doesn't really listen to anybody else and is obsessed with being cool and and grabbing his own power and holding on to it and lording it over other people um and i should note in the ring crusher here looks uh maybe a touch more like a i don't know it doesn't really look like bone saw but he looks like a completely different guy long luscious locks uh <laughs> kind of a fabio thing going on not not the bald meat man of crusher hogan that we're used to even the washed up janitor version this is a this is a hot new take on crusher hogan well this is what happens when you get paid in in clams right uh yeah yeah clams are great for the hair follicles and an aphrodisiac (laughs) um everyone this book's a little sexier than they normally are uh, that's yeah i could go you know I, I don't know i don't know this this i don't uh, aunt may has not reached aunt bay levels in this yet i reserve that for trouble uh, <laughs> but uh no yeah it's Felt the flame of passion fire up in me for a second there uh i don't know if we want to go down that road again <laughs> But, you know, again, making the comparison to the CW, everyone is drawn a little bit more attractive than maybe what you're used to seeing. Um, you know, call it the Riverdale of Midtown High, you know, if you want. Um, R.I.P. Luke Perry. Um, An arrow to the heart, R.I.P. arrow. <laughs> 
but yeah, hard hard month for the CW. Um, At least Supernatural is an ending. God, I thought it was thought it was over a long time ago. Season fourteen, buddy. God, it's almost it's almost like The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> More ways than one. Uh, but yeah, so if if you're looking for maybe like. Peter is a giant jerk in this entire comic. And that, that's kind of the point is the, this comic is exploring kind of the, the how becoming Spider-Man and gaining these powers changed this version of Peter Parker. And so establishing this relationship and establishing this frustration and impotence in this first issue, I think is really important for establishing how or for putting in the gra- the groundwork for the the character arc for this uh this story because reading this the first time like i really struggled with just how unlikable peter parker is in this which is funny because peter parker is supposed to be kind of off-putting originally and that 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 thing that mark and dan talked about where he could have been the villain you know mm-hmm or at least perceived by others to maybe be a villain, wasn't quite as heroic on some level for the way he was output, despite his best intentions. And here, none of that really exists. He's just a teenager. Mm -hmm. The worst villain of them all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... And also something that put me off in this first issue is it ends with um, Flash and Peter getting into a uh, road race at the end, which is <laughs> fantastic. super weird for a number of reasons. A, Peter's driving, which, nah. <laughs> um, also, th- they're going down the mean streets of Queens and there's like no traffic and there's these long, windy roads like they're in Wisconsin or something. Like, does not match <laughs> where they're at. And they they get into a bang up drive, which is weird because usually even with high schoolers like this, like they know enough to not touch the car, man. <laughs> they can't afford well, insurance. Well, it wouldn't be like you know a teen melodrama without a drag race. Um, you know <laughs> that's your area. <laughs> you know, you just good old meet me on Windy Hill. We'll settle this on the streets, and then someone in a very special episode who you know runs off the ravine. It's it's the guest star that uh, showed up three three episodes later, and then everyone's sad. They play a, they play a sad Green Day song. You know, you're woken up when September ends, and and then and then we finish out. Um, I don't think I've heard that song. You you have not heard "Wake Me Up When September Ends." I don't think so. How have like I don't watch okay. these teen dramas like you do, Kane. So it's all it's all it new was to like me. one of Green Day's biggest hits. Once they actually started having big hits and stopped writing good music. Sorry, I listen to real punk music. Hey, Dookie's a good album. Yeah, yeah. Back when they were good, sure. Exactly. Here we Before go. Sold Welcome out. to the Untold Hawks of Green Day. <laughs> So yeah, like just like standard rote stuff for this particular genre. I don't hate it. I like it. Like this is the stuff that like I it, it digs with me. I, I realize it probably misses missed you, and you you said as much. So, uh, but we're not we're not into the juicy stuff yet. That comes in issue two. Oh yeah. Um. So the issue two, we kind of go deeper into the the wrestling side, and we get we get a scene of Crusher Hogan training Spider Man, teaching him all these kind of moves. And I, I like I was reading that, I'm wondering like, is this a call out to whatever happened to Crusher Hogan? Like like I mean, and like it's very possible that it's not. It's very possible that uh, Lapham didn't read that issue it's a logical thing to do like you know this is the named character so he was apparent like and it's it's easy to extrapolate that he was the star of this wrestling uh school or troop or stable stable is the word i'm looking for and so like of course he'd be the one to train him but like it's still like 
I mean, the comic doesn't go anywhere with it, so it's just whatever. But it, it was an interesting thing to see since this is the Crusher Hogan block. Oh, uh, we got to mention when your boy's on like for three whole pages. <laughs> um, right. And so, I, I mean, I saw that, too. And I think you're right. I, I think I personally, I think you did read the issue, because if you're going to be researching for this part of Spider-Man, what issues can you actually read that might influence it? That has to be one of the five right (laughs) right like i don't know it it was interesting i got a kick out of it regardless of if it was intentional or not Mm -hmm. same um but we're very quickly introduced introduced to kind of the i guess you could call her the femme fatale um Mm. maybe not Mm. really but like she she has kind of that that aura to her she is the the sexy older later lady that's going to be helping spider-man and like we get this weird noir style like narration about like uh you know it it gets a little ham-fisted with i I don't know if you're hip with the memes like i do but they're like occasionally there's a thing going around where uh people complain about how women are described in some of these like hard-boiled detective fiction where like (laughs) where it's like yeah like she 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 walked boobily and and like her her yeah and like you know where like it like it describes her in very sexualized terms in a way that's like ridiculous and we kind of swerve into that here a little bit where um let let me let me pull up the page um yeah she's kind of she's the kind of woman that can make a grown man forget how to speak and i see that you noted this in the notes with that panel there's like a close-up on her face and i don't like this happens often and i don't know why why it does but a lot of the times when these artists especially these ones who go for a more realistic rather than cartoonish look happen to draw like characters with like lazy eyes or like the eyes are never properly aligned and so for this like introduction where we're supposed to be seeing this bombshell woman she's got like her arm up her like fluffing her hair and looking dead at the camera except she's like super wall-eyed like she's just like she like (laughs) straight up like an iguana like one eye this way one eye the other and just going wild i mean and okay this is our kind of lady because i don't know if the audience knows but we both have a lazy eye so it's true this is, uh, <laughs> this is our people I mean, this this is representation in comic books right uh i mean where's where's comic skate complaining about this i mean like we're just shoehorning in lazy uh, lazy eyed characters uh, just for those sjw points oh my god stop <laughs> I'm about to kill Matt here. I can say like he's already about to have an aneurysm. Um, Don't mention the Voldemort hashtag. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So Tiffany Lebick, I want to say Lebick, is uh, our our sexy lady. I mean, the, let's let's just say the story isn't passing any feminist muster. Uh, she, this is a woman who's there for feminine wiles and to help drive along the plot and. It's super weird in the context of Spider-Man, whose love is usually pretty pure, I'd say, to kind of... Mm-hmm. I There's some stuff implied, so I don't know how far Peter gets around with Tiffany. Yeah, there, there's definitely some, like moments where it's like should i call chris hansen like like is peter okay is yeah. she related to uncle skip keep in mind peter's supposed to be what 16 <laughs> at the time here yeah 15 16 like yeah. there's like an implied moment with a groupie um uh, where you know we we fade to black so we don't like yeah there there's definitely like again leaning on that cw edge there's some some teenage sexuality that is implied i don't like in how this. you said that <laughs> But I don't like how I said that. <laughs> it's super weird too, because again, Peter Parker, not your average thought teenager. Like it's it's weird in a Spider-Man book to be seeing it played this way. It's weird in a Spider-Man book. I'll agree with you. But if if what they're going for is a more like grounded and realistic look at like a, a teenager getting spider powers and being able to lift a Hewlett not Hewlett Packard. Wow. Uh um a <laughs> a whole printer. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I do that all the time. Um, God, is it a he just knocked me off my train of thought. Three in one, because those are heavier, right? Oh, hey, I just set up like four of those uh, yesterday at work because that's what happens when you accidentally let slip in an interview. You know, like the, when they ask you what was your previous job. Oh, I fixed computers. Oh, great. We'll have you do that. So now I don't do my job at all. I just fix computers all day. So who knows what's going to happen next time on the Untold Talks of Kane's Employment. Um, what the people really come for. <laughs> uh, we keep going on tangents on this one, which is the hallmark sign that we weren't super digging this issue. So let's just let's 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 run through because once Lebec gets uh, introduced, the comic I feel kind of goes off the rails. Uh, okay, so Spider-Man at this point, Peter Parker, you also might know him as, was on a quick rise and fall to power, and it, a lot of it circles around this uh, Tiffany Lebeck character, as she's basically his manager at this point, and also his uh, sometimes maybe lover. So... <laughs> It's very, like, yeah, it's strongly implied. I mean, they, they use very familiar terms with her. And I, I, the implication is that Lebec is in some, pro- in some trouble with the mob of her own. And she's using Spider-Man and using her ability to kind of seduce him to kind of make sure that he stays in her pocket. Whether or not that ever manifests in some sort of, like, physical... um encounter or you know what have you what you know whatever that may may be uh is never really touched on in this it's there's never really any implied physical romance between these two characters but at the same well okay yeah well no no i see what you're talking about but like i guess direct physical no but there's definitely mm-hmm. a relationship between these two that is it present. raises eyebrows it raises eyebrows it's uncomfortable to say the very least um right. and so i i don't know so i we have that wheel spinning meanwhile the other main wheel spinning is very similar to something that relates to a character you might have heard about on the third episode of the third season of the amazing spider talk the grizzly (laughs) wherein j jonah jameson is trying to uh bring down the spider-man character that he heard about for all of his supposed superpowers and whatnot but it's weird because at this point spider-man's just a wrestler and how much are you necessarily going to believe or care and they address this in the comic by having one of the staffers point out say you know he is just a wrestler and the jonah turns around and says but who has he saved this week which just doesn't fit the jonah spider-man dynamic it doesn't. I mean, this is definitely playing into a more villainous take on Jonah, where he's not necessarily reporting on something. He's looking for a controversy to create, to generate papers. And um, I guess that might be more in line with, like, the early Jameson, where he's not necessarily, like, a reporter of, like, great scruples. He's, like... A guy with a chip on his shoulder. Um, I mean, he's the kind of guy who would send a 15-year-old to, like, the Everglades because he heard there was, like, a lizard guy there. Um, <laughs> unsupervised. <laughs> Just, yeah, kid, uh, take this camera. Go. There's, like, a man-eating lizard in the Florida Everglades. Like, you ever been to Florida, kid? You ever been out of the city, kid? Yeah, whatever. You'll figure it out. <laughs> and. <laughs> That was pretty the 60s good. 60s were a different time. <laughs> I, I wish we could afford that uh, Mark Giannacchio to do the voices for us on this show, but we just don't have enough Patreon funds. <laughs> New Patreon tier. Yeah. Higher marked voice act. <laughs> yeah, so, I, okay, so the machinations of Jonah keep spinning. Meanwhile, this um, seedy underground of the wrestling world kind of come is starting to come to a head mm-hmm. uh, and that's really where the miniseries wraps up were there any inter- intervening points in between that you wanted to touch on before we get to the clincher um not really i mean it, it's just that like 
the the middle issues seem to be working with Peter becoming more and more like he, he witnesses the Fantastic Four doing their thing and starts to hear more and more buzz about them. And then like there's something deep inside of him that begins to nag at him um, and really like say that like he should be doing more with the, these powers and uh, and and it starts to really great with him and and that, that's where the the conflict comes up in the back end of the story and i think where 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 you were implying where we were going um and i just i kind of wish that the story got to that point sooner because this really starts to drag in the middle What's interesting about that Fantastic Four moment is, like, there's this crazy monster, and then you see Peter freaking out because people he know knows could be affected, but also he tries to help someone out, but the thing just stares him down. And the thing, by the way, looks incredible. Like, oh, this yeah, art yeah. team, I want to see this art team tackle a Fantastic Four project, because there is something special in those handful of pages that reach me in a way the rest of this book didn't. Um, but the thing was just spot on and was like not judging Peter, but kind of like, you know, like help or move, but don't just stand there more or less. Right. Yes. And mm -hmm. yeah, something about that hit me and I, I felt like could have been a good moment, but it just felt so bizarre because in my mind, Peter's kind of naturally a hero like he not he can't help himself but to help. And this wasn't that. Right. It, no, yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's Peter tries to help this guy and then realizes like he gets too scared until the thing shows up and assists. And then Peter realizes that like, oh, no, it's too late. This guy's, you know, he's got some rebar through him like he's going to die. And then and then he just freezes and locks up and the thing tries to like give him a pep talk and says like, you know, things are changing and you're going to have to like learn to, you know, this, this is this is going to be like giant monsters attacking New York. And like, it's just something you're going to have to learn to deal with soon. <laughs> and, not the best pep talk. Yeah, it's it's certainly not the best pep talk. Um, but like Peter basically throws a temper tantrum saying like, it's not fair. Like we, we, we helped this guy. We were going to save him. Why did he have to die? And yeah, I think, I think that that's again, part of, part of that, that nagging feeling that's been building over the, the course of the story of, you know, Peter having this sense of responsibility for the things around him and, and that feeling kind of maturing, um, so I, I mean, the, the, this was this was the the the, the linchpin moment in, in the story, and I thought it was a really good moment in the story. I just I wish we got into it sooner. Didn't hit me like a David Lynch story. What about it's the linchpin? <laughs> God, well, if it hit you like a David Lynch story, we'd be sitting here trying to like discuss <laughs> what exactly happened for probably about three hours, and then we realized, well, nothing happened. Um, also, all of a sudden now. Peter is the thing and the thing is Liz Allen and and Mulholland Drive was just a weird movie. <laughs> Liz anyway. Allen as the thing. I mean, they had a sheet thing before, but that could be fun. <laughs> well, we'll get on it. We'll, we'll go ahead and copyright that so no one can steal our idea. And then so when a movie comes out, we, we can. No, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. not going to go down that road. We, we've been going down that road a lot lately. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, the, the, yeah, that Fantastic Four moment really popped. And what also kind of hit me at the end of this is like, oh, this was the other major point where I'm like, this isn't continuity. Because if this exchange happened, the whole first issue of Amazing Spider-Man just doesn't add up. Well, at least the part that deals with the Fantastic Four, like, right, just doesn't jive. But that's fine. Like, in a way, it hits some of the same notes, but earlier. Mm -hmm. So, oh, and after this, we kind of get a, or in issue five, pretty early on, right? We get that moment with the burglar. I think that's the next big point. Uh, I think that's like the the scene where Peter lets the burglar through. I think it's like in the third or fourth issue. Like, it, they, 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 it marinates oh, for a while, like in... in yeah, like in the in the movies and in Amazing oh. Fa Fantasy fifteen, like it, it seems to be like always directly implied that like 
the burglar goes out and then like almost immediately Uncle Ben gets shot because of it. But mm-hmm. in this, it's like weeks later. Well, um, and I want to talk about that at the end here. But yeah, the, mm-hmm. the two incidents would be weeks later. And you're right, it does happen in issue three. And it feels even more bizarre because Peter's been struggling with wanting to help or not and whatnot. And the amount of effort he'd have to put in here. Right. Eh. Yeah, it's again, they if they got into this you know, they could put this earlier in the story and just get to the other start stuff sooner. But yeah, you're right. It's because this is a, a check mark they have to do because this is like the defining moment for the character and he has to act a certain way. But for some reason, it's it's at this point in the story because I don't know. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just Peter acts out of character for literally what he was two pages ago. Right. Uh, so moving forward, I think there's one other moment before the, the finale that stands out. That's the beginning of issue five where there's a bit of a disaster and Peter does try to help, but you know, it's a little, little Batman year one. He's not, he's not the Spider-Man yet. So he, he saves people, but barely a bunch of people almost die. It's shaky. Well, there's there's a there's a moment in I think it's it might be Superman all seasons. It might be um, uh, what's the one where Superman gets super cancer and dies? All star. All star. Yeah, it might be. It might be from all star. I can't. (laughs) That's what happens. Uh, Yeah, I I can't. That's the heart of that (laughs) enduring classic. (laughs) Oh, my God. But I can't remember which one, but it's like where where Superman like talks a, like a goth girl off off like yeah, the that's edge of an all star. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. We have a moment over there where Spider Man's trying to talk this guy off the edge, but like you said, like he's new to this, so he doesn't really know how. So he actually talks the guy into jumping off accidentally. He manages to catch him, and we get that classic, um, you know, Amazing Fantasy fifteen pose when he does, but. Um, <laughs> explains the face on the guy (laughs) exactly but oh gosh like yeah and and this like really messes with peter's head like this is this is the moment where he's like no like i I can't do this anymore like i i almost killed that guy like um i don't know what what, what did you want to say about it i the point here is that peter's kind of trying to be hero but he's not good at it and so he's getting discouraged but really it feels like a lack of experience or anything and kind of plays on something where that was kind of tried to be touched upon in the earlier days but i don't think was ever fully realized that like he's shaky doesn't quite have it down but like how are you supposed to have this down because there's no rules there's no way to go about saving a disaster even if it is shaky if you get it done you got it done like it's it's crisis mitigation like Mm-hmm. I, the the idea that like oh man i i kind i like i did save the guy who's going to jump just not the best way or there there's was it a runaway bus some vehicle issue uh getaway van yeah getaway bank van. robbery and you know some people almost got creeped but like they didn't and so i and the fact that he was so discouraged about it just seemed kind of crazy to me uh, but it, it plays to this idea that he's feeling like he, he's not up for it and so from there we move with that discouragement to uh oh right to that moment with uh tiffany getting the shiner mm-hmm. which basically ends his wrestling career right because he has to go beat up some mooks right so the uh, jameson's editorials began to damage spider-man as an entertainer's public image and because tiffany has run into some issues with the mob she's kind of in their pocket and you know they say you know it's tiffany's job to make sure spider-man stay like keeps wanting to be the entertainer spider-man and Meanwhile, these mob guys are going to go send some heavies to take care of Jameson. And there's some pushback on that. And they rough up Tiffany. And then Tiffany tells Peter that what's going to happen with Jameson. And that's that's kind of when he ends his relationship with these guys when he shows up to take out these heavies. Um, Tiffany disappears into the night. And, uh, and then the issue ends... With Spider-Man with... saving Jameson pretty outright. Yeah. But that emotional... 
moment doesn't really carry through. He's still relatively discouraged about being a hero. Right. And I yeah, and so, I mean sorry, that was my build up before, I guess, was like there's all this like he he saves the day regardless. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's this third incident he's forced into, and then he saves the day pretty handily, but he's still down on himself about it. And it just feels kind of odd to me because it's, it's this is maybe the moment of the most pure heroism, ironically, to save Jameson, which created the biggest problem for him and is Jameson. So like, <laughs> we're supposed well, to I- intuit that, like, mm-hmm. he's going to be giving him grief for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's kind of in line to have, you know, Peter pull off some sort of heroics, but still have like lingering guilt. Oh, uh, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. Um, I mean, even with like the Crusher Hogan, I mean, you know, we, we, oh, well, we saved Hogan, but, uh, and, and really just like made this guy's life. But, oh, well, you know, Aunt May's boyfriend got his put in the hospital because he couldn't, you know, he got caught up by some loan sharks. It, oh, um, oh, you're talking about the Nathan Lebesky from the other. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the, the whatever happened to Crusher Hogan issue. Right, right. So, yeah. Sorry, we're talking about Uncle Ben. You're like, Aunt May's boyfriend. I'm like, ah, uh. <laughs> come on, man. He's a little more than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I should point out that this issue ends big clincher on Uncle Ben, who, by the way, is looking very hippie, and Aunt mm. May and Peter kind of in a group hug while the TV plays a warning about this dangerous burglar being on the loose, which means they were warned. They're all indoors. They're all together. And we have a happy ending because Uncle Ben never dies. Peter's down about being a hero and they just go on with their merry lives. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he could still be at large the next day. He could be at large, but textually, he's just a TV warning, something for the police to deal with. And that Spider-Man character has been uh, dragged through the mud and never to be seen again. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, they end with a fake out because, you know, Peter comes home and then sees cop cars. You're like, all right, finally happened. Uncle Ben got it. It's like, no, these are the police that have been looking for you for the past week because you haven't been home. Um, Which, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's a fake out, but it's not the worst in the world. But so much of what we've been talking about this back half, the title is With Great Power, meaning what's to be learned is about the responsibility. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like this book conveyed that message in any useful or different way? Well, the Amazing Fantasy fifteen has always like implied that the the lesson in responsibility was Uncle Ben dying, and and Peter had to learn that lesson the hardest way he could. This story seems to imply more that this sense of responsibility was always within Peter, and it like it had to foster and grow over the course of this this career as an entertainer. And then maybe that Uncle Ben moment was the thing that really pushed it over the edge and into this like almost like Herculean uh, level of like guilt about everyone around him. And, you know, I think if we got a follow up, that might be an interesting like issue or two where we kind of delve into the psychology of that and how that affected Peter uh, on you know a mental level but i i'm i'm not holding my breath for that you're um here's my thing that you're arguing arguing majorly metatextually which is to say off the knowledge that ben does die which we never see this peter's reaction to right so far as we know like i said ben's still alive textually Mm -hmm. the responsibility moment is when he's already spider-man effectively and swings in to save i mean we know it's jonah but i mean this guy who's been dragging his name through the mud, who made his own problem and stirs up trouble with uh, the local color. And Spider-Man has to go beat up some mooks and save him, despite the fact that this is someone who's essentially out to hurt him. He's already there. Mm-hmm. But is it a sense of responsibility or is it just a sense of doing the right thing? thing which are different enough like this isn't a great power great responsibility this is uh don't don't have people die around you because that's bad wrong as you would (laughs) say 
It's exactly how I would say it. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a fair point. Uh, so I don't know. I don't really have anything to, to say or to add to that because I, I mean, I, I think it's a very well put point. There's not much to be said. Like, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, I, I really, I, I don't know what to say. But other than I, I, I kind of agree with the, the point you laid out there. It's just, you're right. And I, is is making sure Jameson doesn't get like hit by the mob a responsibility thing or like a doing what's right kind of thing? And they're like, what what's what what's the big difference there? And not to say that that has like that's not normally something that I think the text would have to differentiate, right? <laughs> but given that what this book is, the title of it, the entire point of it, like I guess even larger and more open like walking away from this mini series what's your takeaway what do you get about it as far as what it's saying about spider-man i th- i think i think i don't think it's trying to say something about spider-man i think the goal of this which whew, is a loaded thing to you know say oh, the goal of this text um, no. but i i, I think I think what what this what the story sets out to do, and I think it does it well, is really blow up this section of Spider-Man's life, which, as we said at the top of the episode, isn't something that's been mined very hard, and kind of explore how this would affect a teenager. And and I think it does that well. Now, does that lend well to continuity? No, um, for the for the very reasons that you've pointed out. But that's kind of the 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 joy of these Marvel Knight titles. This is the the second attempt at Marvel Knight. So you know none of these are ongoings. None of these are, are all of these are distinctly out of canon. Um, and so it's 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 not a deconstruction, but it's like a deconstruction where it's it's taking away some of the the, the tropes and expectations and more just giving a laser focus on the real psychology of what would be going on with these characters in this particular setup huh well i'm gonna go a completely different way and say my biggest (laughs) takeaway from the text isn't isn't something that was intended but uh if if you see where peter parker was normally and how being spider-man affected him versus how this Peter Parker was and how Spider-Man affected him, I learned that our, you know, 616 Peter Parker needed the superhuman advantages of his abilities to get out into public and to kind of learn how to be a more normal human being, whereas (laughs) the average teenager given these abilities would more normally isolate them. So interestingly, someone who's a bit more of a loner being given it, I think, lends to a story where they would gravitate to being more a member of general society. And that mm-hmm. sort of idea. Although, I guess originally Spider-Man was uh, influenced by Ditko with a bit of a different personality, which might be a major factor here, too. But that's uh, maybe digging a little deeper than yeah, yeah, this needs. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I think you're right. So... that. That leads us to our big question. Where does Where on this the... fall? On the web of rankings. And uh, and this is this is a difficult one for me to place because it's so much unlike all the other ones. Because like I said, this this isn't necessarily a superhero story. No, but it is a Spider-Man story. And it is yeah. a play on effectively what if someone else became Spider-Man than the Peter Parker we know and love, but just happens to share the name. So, so y- do you think this is stronger than the what if issue where we saw three other people became Spider-Man? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's stronger than that. Sorry, um, the title's what if someone else became Spider-Man. That's why I had the grammar bump there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think it's stronger than that. I was going to probably put it um, around Spider-Man India. Um, You know, another alternate Spider-Man take. Another one that kind of like had some interesting ideas, but might not have pulled the trigger on them perfectly. Also a good lookalike. So just for reference, uh, Spider-Man India is entry 29 on our 38 entry list. 
Um, I would put this around Spider-Man India, but I think Spider-Man India is a hair stronger. Okay, yeah, that's fair, yeah. All right, so our new number 30 on the list, With Great Power, is now in our little mini block, where 30 is With Great Power, 29 is Spider-Man India, also another mini, and right above that is The Final Adventure, another mini. So by and large, uh, Spider-Man minis don't seem to really cut the mustard with us. Uh, Yeah, they really don't. (laughs) I mean, like, can you think of a good Spider-Man mini? like spider-man blue yeah but that's not like that that's not in our purview <laughs> <laughs> yeah th- th- there's probably some other one we'll we'll give it a go at it you know a bizarre one uh what's that the mysterio manifest oh you're right um also, also i just realized the lost years oh yeah the lost years um wait no <laughs> wait oh yeah I'm trying to remember the lost years there's a lot of cane in there and a lot of uh, okay yes yes yeah, I, I don't know if I've actually read that one. Um, but anyway, anyway, uh, so that that's it for today's episode. We'd like to thank everyone for tuning into the show. If you'd like to support the show, get exclusive reviews of modern Spider-Man comics, commissioned artwork, spider, uh, commissioned artwork from Spider-Man artists past and present, as well as access to our members only section of our uh, Slack community. Check out our Patreon, the amazing Spider Talk Patreon, which is only partially ours. Um, so you'll be getting our exclusive content. You'll be getting exclusive content from the amazing Spider Talk. You'll be supporting two shows for the price of one. Great deal. Dan and Mark, great people. They deserve your money. We deserve your money. You don't deserve your money. Uh- <laughs> I really need to stop going off script with these. (laughs) That's not how you sell something. (laughs) (laughs) And be sure to tune in to the Amazing Spider Talk as they continue their discussion through the Bronze Age. And you want to fund those efforts so that they can dive deep into that wonderful era of spider-man and learn more and more about the grizzly really if enough of us pool our efforts and let them know i bet we could get a whole grizzly episode out of them i bet we could get a grizzly bear on the show (laughs) (laughs) anyway we got one more story in this crusher hogan block and then we're gonna go we're we're going right back to spider-man's tangled web for issue number 14 uh for that issue i can't remember what the name is whatever happened to crusher hogan too <laughs> electric boogaloo yeah so special thanks to the ellie badge for providing our theme song if you'd like to listen to more from them you can always check out the show notes for links until matt and i make it into politics so we can get our clam based currency off the ground make mine untold We should play. We should play a song. That, this is a cartoon song. You know, you've heard about the gold standard, you've heard about the silver standard, we're all about the clam standard.